Hello everyone and welcome to Front Porch Report. Now as some of you may know, Sam is in medical school and believe it or not they have exams in medical school and from what he's told me they're kind of difficult. And this week is Sam's exam week so uh, we are going to be without his presence and his voice this week. But never fear, I have a very special guest for you, someone who has been a very important part of my life for the entirety of my life. And I'd like to welcome to the podcast for the first time, my father, Brian Turner. How are you doing, Dad? Good. Hello, Front Porch Report. Uh, folks, it's good to be uh, on. I listen to this thing a lot, so it's nice to have a chance to speak. Yeah, so one of the reasons why I was interested in bringing my dad on to be the guest co-host this week was because he just is a wealth of knowledge and experience and has been a great mentor to me in my own life. But recently, over the past couple of months, he's been going through an experience that has really helped be a learning experience to him and to, and to me and our whole family as well. And I just wanted to give him the opportunity to sort of speak to what what's been going on in his life and also to some of the things that it has taught him about the nature of his relationship with God and, and the character of God itself. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. So around April, uh, early April, I was uh, just carrying on with my life. Um, I'm a nurse anesthetist and I'm busy. I worked in three different places and I had a uh, just not been feeling quite myself uh, with some fatigue and I'd gone drag racing and, you know, done the things that I like to do, but wasn't able to do them at a level that I was used to. So I finally managed uh, to get myself into a doctor's office and have some labs drawn. And uh, very suddenly on April 5th, discovered that I have leukemia, quite a shocking diagnosis. And um, one that uh, sent me uh, that afternoon straight to the cancer treatment unit up in Austin at St. David's underwent bone marrow biopsy and got a, a formal diagnosis. I started chemotherapy the following day and uh, a rather intensive seven days of chemotherapy and uh, managed to get my counts, my blood counts to a, some sort of normal range, sort of, uh, where they wanted them anyway. And uh, in the, in the, over the course of the last six weeks or so, I've continued on this journey of cancer treatment and um, so we have learned a great deal about leukemia, for one, also about being a patient in a hospital. And uh, I've worked in healthcare my entire career, so it's very interesting being on the other side of the curtain or in the bed in this case. I uh, found that not only was I learning about medical issues and how to deal with them and uh, some of the challenges faced by patients that I hadn't thought of previously, but uh, I was also struggling with where I was spiritually because uh, uh, the statistics for my diagnosis looked pretty poor. Uh, it was a kind of a grim thing when we started searching. And so as my wife, Amy, and I looked through those and talked about what the potentials were, I had to make some decisions. One was, um, you know, like, do I sell my race cars and the trailer and the things that Amy would struggle with if I were not here? Do I uh, postpone a fellowship that I had been planning for the past two or three years? What do I tell my employers? Do I tell them I'm done for good or you're going to have to find somebody else? Or So many questions like that arose. 
and choices to be made. But one thing that we were able to really do is lean on our faith. Uh, we immediately got support from our uh, church community, from our family, from the racing community. Uh, people just were kind of coming out of the woodwork with support. And it's been a, a wonderful thing to see. And, you know, the thing we asked for the most was prayer. And uh, it's very <laughs> ironic in a way. Uh, three days before my diagnosis, I had taught a Sunday school lesson on what we call, what I had titled First World Problems, and basically uh, taught our class that we really need to be thankful and appreciative of just the air that we breathe, the fact that God has us alive here in this place and has allowed us to be part of his creation. And that lesson, <laughs> again, really hit home once I was literally uh, now facing uh, life and death in a way. So leaning on our faith has allowed us to put a, a direction on how we wanted to manage this disease. Uh, for one, we're accepting of the fact that I could, this may kill me. It may take my life. And, and there are statistics, again, especially on a five-year survival that just don't look good at all. But the statistics are not 100%. You know, there, there's room there for God to work a miracle in our lives. And so we are, we are expecting that. Two, it's allowed us to focus on the value of prayer and not only our own prayer, but uh, the prayer of others. And I promise you, as somebody now receiving a lot of prayer support, it's something that undergirds me with strength. And it gives me a sense that not only do people care about me, but that God is hearing about me often. And that's been one of the high points of this is this relationship that I've always had with God has just grown to a closeness. And I think sometimes people hear it in a sermon or in a Sunday school class, something about uh, sometimes you have to hit rock bottom before you can actually uh, become close to God. But I have to tell you, there have been, there've been moments in this journey where I've been in the hospital and really felt that there was nothing between uh, me and God, no distractions whatsoever. Because when I looked at the chemotherapy uh, meds that were going into my body, or I looked at the the blood transfusions or the platelet transfusions that were there to keep me alive, just recognizing that uh, my only way to win was if God chose for me to win. I couldn't personally control so many aspects of my care that uh, I had to rely on him. And so that concept of being close to God was really hammered home during this. And on several occasions, uh, I, I've just felt right next to him, right next to him. And in conversation through prayer, uh, in conversation, him to me, through Bible verses sent in by other people, through Bible verses found, uh, through songs. It's just been an amazing closeness to Christ and God that has happened because of this illness. And so I think you hear it sometimes. People will say they were brought closer to God through trials in their life. And I am definitely one of those. So as we kind of dive deeper into this topic and this conversation, you know, I hope and pray that the vast majority of the people that are listening to this don't have you know, a personal experience of what it's like to suffer from a cancer diagnosis. And I, I know you and I know your humility and that you're not going to want to say that, oh, your suffering is particularly bad, even for, you know, cancer or for, you know, things that are that are going on in the world. But 
it seems to me like there's probably different categories of of difficulties and struggles that this diagnosis has has brought on you since April. And so I want to just dive a little bit deeper into each one of those and talk about how your relationship with God has deepened and how he has been your strength and your provision for each of those. So the first one would be, you know, the physical effects of it, of the cancer itself and the treatment. The second one, I think, is sort of the professional side of it, the fact that you aren't able to participate in activities the way that um, you were prior, and then maybe the the social aspect as well, the, you know, something of isolation that you're experiencing or the way it's changed your relationships with people. So getting started with that, that physical aspect, can you just paint a picture for us about what sort of changes have occurred? And then, you know, we can talk a little bit about how God has helped you or comforted you in, in your physical suffering. So again, going into April, I was mostly doing my regular activities. I was diagnosed on a Tuesday. The previous Thursday, I'd played a church league softball game. Actually went five for seven that night. I had a couple of doubles, pitched two games. And uh, while I was a little fatigued and, you know, I wasn't running the bases like I used to, um, I was attributing that to just new season, age, maybe something post-COVID. You know, I was pointing the fingers at all the things I could think of. When I got the diagnosis and saw that my white blood cell count was over 50,000, and then I recognized that the anemia that I had was related to this leukemia, it really made a few things clear. And so while there was no pain involved initially, uh, there was just this incredible amount of fatigue and lack of stamina. When I went in the hospital, I went through a little bit of a danger zone. There's an, a period where they kill all of those white blood cells that are extra, and that can create something called tumor lysis syndrome. And so there for a couple of days, I uh, was super careful. But you know, it wasn't one of those things like I had envisioned. They hung the chemotherapy and I thought, okay, here it comes. And you just had this thing that thought that you're going to feel it going into your body. It was really nothing like that. I actually felt pretty good. I still had an appetite. It wasn't until about day 10 or 11 that I actually started to have the serious side effects of chemotherapy. And primarily those are related, in my case, to the GI tract. You get this taste in your mouth where foods don't taste right. The appetite goes away. For some people, there's nausea. I didn't really have that, but I was eating almost nothing for a couple of days, and that was a bit of a challenge. The lining of the gut tends to slough off because of the chemotherapy agents, and so you get GI upset, and I I certainly had a a handful of that. But then I started to get better, and uh, after those seven days of chemo, I I mean, I I looked at my lab values, again, something I've been evaluating for the, the last 20 years or so on other people. And I was just shocked at some of the numbers, you know, numbers that were scary to me in the past were now my numbers and, and beyond. And, um, and so there was the physical part of that, that I have to be really careful with my body to avoid infection, to avoid fevers, to avoid trauma because I had very little platelets for clotting, that kind of thing. But my body rebounded nicely and in fact, went into remission. And so during my remission, I, I made a trip to MD Anderson in uh, Houston had a bone marrow biopsy done down there, a consult to, to consider a clinical trial, and some more labs done, and actually was feeling pretty good during that trip. The decision was next to have a consolidation chemotherapy, so I had another inpatient stay with uh, four days of, of IV chemotherapy, and then another five days of an, a tablet, a, a pill chemotherapy that I actually finished up at home. 
I felt pretty good during that time. Uh, my numbers were decreasing, but I felt good. And then day 13, again, the number zero, I ended up getting a, a, another fever, my third of this journey. And so had to go back into the hospital, be admitted for IV antibiotics again. And, and again, fortunately, I've uh, avoided any pain. There's not a tumor associated with leukemia, for those that don't know. It's something that's more universal throughout the body. And so there's no surgery to be done, no radiation to be done necessarily. It's it's really a chemotherapy-based uh, treatment. And in my case, we know that I'll be getting a bone marrow transplant at some point, getting some stem cells from a donor. And so physically, it has been those things uh, that uh, just being in the hospital, having the GI upset, uh, low energy whenever your red blood cell count is half of what it's supposed to be, it tends to make you low energy. And so I certainly miss uh, working in my shop on my cars, playing softball with, with my team, uh, just being able to do things like mow the lawn. You know, I'm not allowed to do that for risk of infection at this point. So there are physical changes that have happened. So that's kind of how it's affected you. In the midst of that, how would you, how have you seen God work? And would you say that through, you know, through this, you've grown closer to him or has he been able to provide comfort for you in the midst of physical affliction? Yeah. So, and especially in that first hospital stay, uh, we, we had lots of questions, but people started sending us Bible verses either by text or email or on our caring bridge. And, and Amy would write them with a Sharpie and then hang, hang them on the wall where I could read them. And uh, when I would be stuck in bed and not able to get up, I would just look up and I would find encouragement from God you know, verses where he would talk about not leaving me or being with me or where he would fight the battle or that the victory is already won. There are so many outstanding verses of God supporting us and being able to read those and being reminded of his provision for me uh, was just very encouraging because again, physically, when you can't do what you're used to and you're stuck in a, a small space, I spent 18 days in the hospital the first time on one floor, not able to go up or down the stairs, uh, go up or down the elevator and all confined basically to this one unit. And that's just not the type of guy that I am. I'm an outside guy. And so having those Bible verses and just kind of hearing God speak to me through those was very encouraging. And even at my lowest point, there were a couple of days early on in my treatment where Amy wasn't allowed to stay with me. So I found myself alone in my room in the middle of the night. And um, there was one moment in particular where I just got scared. I, I, I got afraid of what was going to happen and I, I didn't have anybody to, to talk to. And in that moment, I looked at my bedside table, my Bible was there and I was able just to get it and, and actually put it on, on the pillow with me. And in that moment, I just felt like God had me. He was speaking to me through his word. My, his word was right there with me and it gave me comfort. And there's nothing else that would have given me that comfort that night other than God's word and his presence. And so, uh, especially in that moment when I was just deeply afraid, it was very nice to have the comfort of God close to me. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that for sure. It's something that I think helps to sort of build the picture for what someone in your position experiences physically, but also a great example of the fact that our suffering kind of opens our eyes to our, our need for God and allows us to open up with that vulnerability that allows him to step into the situation. 
another aspect of this that I haven't talked to you that much about, but I'm sure is a, is a really big part of what you're experiencing is just the fact that you kind of overnight went from being like the pillar of your anesthesia group at the hospital and a big, you know, a major part of your pain clinic with plans for the future about, you know, expanding into that role and being at the racetrack and Sunday school and all of that to basically having to step back, if not away totally from, from all of those roles. And if you're anything like me, or if I'm anything like you, as the the apple from the tree saying goes, it must just feel really tough and, and devastating to have these things that are a big part of your identity sort of stripped back. And so could could you speak to that a little bit and then about maybe what you've learned from God about the things that we find identity in? Sure. So as you said, I, I've you know, 15 years with one hospital, a small hospital and an anesthesia group there. I have, I I live closer to the hospital than anyone. And as a small place, there are times when there's only one anesthesia provider in the hospital. And all of my colleagues have always known that if they got in trouble, that things were really going south. And it was one of those, we got to, I need another set of hands here or, or something really bad is going to happen. They've always known they could call me and, and it's happened on a number of occasions. And so being, having to step away from that, for one, I felt like I was putting a burden on my coworkers because it's a small group. And so now there was a vacancy that they had to fill. And so they've managed it. But every time I see a group text or a group email about the schedule, it's, it, it hurts a little bit thinking, man, that's, they're having to work extra to fill my spot. And so I, I do feel bad for the group. And and also just, again, that kind of loss of, of power, if you will, that, you know, uh, a status at the hospital. Now, everybody's been asking about me, of course, and they understand the situation, but I, I do hope to get back there someday and help try to kind of make up this time to them. I also, you know, was the sole provider at this pain clinic. It was only one day a week, but they didn't have anybody else. And, um, and I was diagnosed on a Tuesday night and admitted. And Wednesday, we had pain clinic cases scheduled that they had to cancel. And so it's definitely been a challenge for them and they've uh, had to to jump through a lot of hoops to try to make it so that they can still take care of their patients. They're managing that, but I've fortunately been able to communicate with them and help out with a few things here and there in terms of logistics. And then my future. So I, I had planned for several years now to, to get into a fellowship in advanced pain management where I could become a practitioner of that COVID put that on delay uh, a couple years ago. And I finally had managed to do everything I needed to and have been accepted to the cohort that starts in August. And that's with this diagnosis, it's like, well, do I go ahead and proceed with this year-long educational program or do I just put it on hold again? And so there are some steps, you know, you got to pay tuition, you got to buy books and it's like, do I or don't I? And so we prayed about this, obviously, about all of these things. And I think God's, you know, voice was, in some instances, was be still. And it, and it was like this identity of myself as this super CRNA at work. Um, I had to kind of turn that loose. And, and that's been a challenge for sure. But God has, God has spoken to me as a, as a father and kind of just said, it's okay just to be you for right now. And, um, 
And so I've been appreciating that, even though it's been a challenge. Also, uh, as far as the pain clinic goes, they they are set uh, at least through the month of June and and uh, and July. And again, they've been in communication with me. When are you, you know we can't wait for you to get back. When are you going to come back? Uh, take your time, but when are you going to come back? And so um, I look forward to that day as well. But there was a day uh, several weeks ago where I. I was trying to, I was struggling with the decision about the pain management fellowship. And one of the lines from uh, the Shawshank Redemption came to me. Uh, I was in this, you know, do I, do I figure I'm not going to be okay? And so I'm not going to do the fellowship or do I figure that I'm going to be okay? And so there's a line in there where the lead character says, you know, get busy living or get busy dying. And so I took that line to heart and I also just reached out and, and prayed about it and said, you know, are we going to trust God for a miracle or are we going to expect him to not heal me? And again, it's when you're a rational person, a medical provider, and you look at statistics, it's very easy to get hung up in those and say, okay, I don't think this is going to work out. But again, I, I go back to another movie I've watched uh, in Facing the Giants. There's a line and the line is about preparing for rain. And if you're a farmer and you pray for rain, but you don't prepare your fields, then you probably don't think the rain is coming. But if you're a farmer and you prepare your fields in spite of the drought, you are preparing for rain and you are trusting in faith that God is going to provide that rain that you need. And so the combination of those two uh, concepts about, you know, getting busy living led me to go ahead and get busy on the fellowship. It starts in August. I've ordered my textbooks. I have um, been busy doing the prerequisite stuff as far as what needs to be done on the computer to, to start classes in August. And so there's a chance that in August I'll be too sick and have, you know, be getting chemo or be right around transplant. There's all kinds of stuff that could go on. But I decided to trust God uh, and be faithful in my, in my prayers that he will put me at a point where I need to be. If I didn't have that relationship with him, it would be a lot easier just to say, you know what? I'll skip the fellowship for this year. Maybe if I'm okay next year, I'll do it. And and again, that may happen if my medical condition warrants it. But for me, for right now, I'm leaning into God and saying, okay, God, I trust you for whatever you're going to do here. Awesome. And then the other thing I mentioned was just socially, now that you are neutropenic, your ability to go and see other people face-to-face is greatly diminished and thankfully we live in a technological world where you can FaceTime with folks and watch church online and do stuff like that. But can you just talk about how, you know, the sort of isolation of a a cancer diagnosis or a leukemia diagnosis has affected you and where you found your comfort? So as you said, neutropenia is a condition where there you don't have uh, immune cells in your system, white blood cells particularly and that's a, a goal of the chemotherapy, but it's not a good one. It's one of the things that just comes along as an adverse effect. And that's been my situation a good portion of the time since my diagnosis. And so I have certainly missed, um, again, I wasn't exactly like a social butterfly, but um, being able to go to church and, and see people face to face to sing in the choir. So I'm missing my choir rehearsals on Wednesdays and being up in the loft on Sundays it's meant wearing a mask, even around relatively close relatives, um, and avoiding contact. Um, Taz's first visit here, we we had to like 
shower, gown, mask, glove, and hug uh, because my numbers were absolute zero. So socially, it's been challenging for sure. I've missed, um, I had to stop leading my Bible study fellowship group, for example, and and uh, missing those guys, uh, getting to see them on Mondays and Fridays was really heartbreaking in a way. I mean, I could still communicate with them via email and a, a little bit of video stuff, but we are made for community. I'm sure of that. And uh, so I I definitely miss the interaction at church and look forward to being able to, being able to get that back. It's interesting about a, a week ago, that social barrier kind of came into my dreams. I was dreaming that I met some of my relatives from New Mexico and suddenly in my dream, I was running from them because I didn't have a mask on and I was afraid to get an infection, you know? And so how that interference had actually made its way into my dreams. And that's now happened a couple of times where my cancer diagnosis has invaded even my subconscious, I feel like. And how in that kind of a difficult place have you found comfort or where have you seen God at work? I think the a huge way is through our caring bridge. Uh, we post a blog every day about since since my diagnosis about what's going on with us and uh, keeping people up to date and and I get comments back on that and then uh, we post those on Facebook and I get comments there and the way the community has responded uh, again through that through some gifts that have been given to me uh, sent through Amy or or you know, delivered. Those types of things have just been physical moments of caring and being able to hear from people again, their prayers, their words of encouragement, the fact that they're reading and, and maybe more importantly, the impact that the, the blog or the Caring Bridge has had on some other people has been super rewarding. Um, several people, and again, I have a number of communities involved here, right? My my church community, our family, the racing community, and then kind of my work community. And um, so word spread around the hospital about the Caring Bridge, and I have a number of different staff uh, that I've worked with in the past and currently that are reading that. And I've had a couple of people write uh, to me how our journey and how we're chronicling it has impacted their walk with God and could not imagine anything more rewarding than that, that uh, the fact that we're documenting this and and the fact that we truly are leaning on God for for everything in this because we have to. And other people are seeing that. We are doing our very best to handle this diagnosis and disease with poise and with a great deal of faith and a good attitude. And I think that shines through sometimes in our words and when other people read that, maybe it just makes a couple of things going on in their lives seem not so bad. Or again, if they're just one of those people that says, man, Brian's getting through this because of his relationship with God, that's something that I would like to have. Then, you know, I'm not intentionally being evangelical, but I love the concept that some people are, you know, taking this as a a step to get closer to God. Well, as I listen to you tell the story today, one thing that I'm struck by is the fact that in the midst of a situation and a diagnosis that seems almost maliciously built to stifle a person and to and to fill them with fear you are instead expressing great hope 
in the future, but not holding it so not holding the idea of of a cure so tightly that it would that it would destroy your relationship with God if it didn't come. But you do still have that hope that he can do something that you're you're doing that preparing for the rain. And I'm also just struck by the fact that even in a in the midst of a life changing circumstance, your relationship with God has given you the strength to continue on. And I know that that's been something that's encouraging to me as I've gotten to walk along this as as close to you as I can get from four hours away. But yeah, I'm just the fact that you took what could have been paralysis, but instead turned it into an opportunity to just step into this new season of life. And then just encouraging stories that you've told about how people have responded to your story on Caring Bridge as well. I heard from a racing buddy. Uh, He was referred to me by the Racing for Christ chaplain recently. And he said some words that I also said, and I just want to share those very quickly. Um, He went through a cancer journey about 12 years ago, a year-long process, a little bit different cancer than mine. But he called me out of the blue and just said, you know, the chaplain asked me to give you a call. And so as we talked and he told me his story, one of the things that I think people sometimes do when they get bad news in their life is they say, why me? And when you say, why me? Then it can really impact your ability to, to, to understand why God is, how God is involved in that bad news. You know, whether he sent it, he caused it, he allowed it, whatever you want to believe. But when you say, why me? And you put the focus on yourself, it it can really drive a wedge, I think, between a person and God. And this man uh, said these words, and I've said them myself, so I, th- I think they're worth, worth sharing. Instead of saying, why me? He said, why not me? And there was a point in my diagnosis when I said the same thing. Does somebody else deserve a cancer diagnosis more or less than me? Do any of us deserve a diagnosis like this? Again, our world has fallen. We pay for the original sin still through things like disease. And I wouldn't wish this on anyone. But I feel equipped to handle it. God has equipped me with a faith and a knowledge that a victory's already been won. Our church gave me a towel that is embroidered with the words, Brian wins. And it could not be truer because the victory is already won. And as, um, as a believing Christian, knowing that Jesus has secured my future, the results of this cancer battle are kind of insignificant. Now for you, Taz, and for your mom and your brother, they're going to be more significant potentially. But I mean, uh, when I think about some of my friends who've passed and I've had sadness for them and I've grieved for them, there always comes a point where I cheer for them as well, knowing that whatever ailed them in this world is gone. And even in this week, as I look at the tragedy recently of Uvalde, I, it's a terrible thing and there's plenty to be done about it. But when I imagine the image of those children entering heaven and uh, being engulfed in Christ's love and light, that's a beautiful thing. And so I'm not ready to go. I am so not ready to go. I think, uh, I hope at least that God has much more for me to do here. And there are lots of things that I want to do 
including seeing some grandchildren. <laughs> but um, there are many things that, that I want to do on this earth. But uh, I, I'll say it now, and I'll say it again at some point. Don't grieve for me because, man, grieve for yourselves, and that's what it's for. And uh, even Jesus cried. But I, I'm like, found myself several times saying, okay, you know, when this, this thing is at its worst and I'm feeling my worst and my optimism for uh, relief is it's at its lowest. Those are the times when I'm like, hey, Jesus, tonight would be a great time to come. Take us all. I am rooting for that day. And again, I, my faith, I, I wonder still how people get through these things without faith because it, it's very trying and very challenging. But with faith, anything, I mean, with God, anything is possible. I mean, that's not cliche. Those are his words. And they, they have power and they have strength and they have meaning. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for your words of wisdom. Um, before we go, I would like to do something with you that Sam and I um, do most episodes, which is get a hot take. Oh, no. I know that you have recently partaken of the new um, Disney Plus TV show, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the first two episodes. So in as spoiler-free a way as possible, could you give your hot take on Obi-Wan Kenobi? Wow, I think um, there was plenty of room for Disney to mess that up. And as somebody who's uh, concerned about the canon, as you are, and then you start trying to fit things in the middle. It's really easy to mess things up. But I'll tell you from the first two episodes, I'm very impressed. I, I'm not exactly a show st streamer, but I can't wait for the next episode to see what's going to happen. There are little, uh, very small things that if you pay attention, you can look and say, ah, from even things like the Clone Wars or some of the other past episodes and things that we've seen. And some things will make you scratch your head and say, ah, that's where that goes or that's where that comes from. So, so far in this series, I think Disney's done a really good job of reviving in a way one of our favorite characters and is filling in a time slot that a lot of us would have said, I wonder what went on, you know, on Tatooine or in this instance when Obi-Wan became Ben. How, how did that exactly happen? And so kind of fun. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to the future episodes of it. I think that uh, if they continue on this trend, we're going to really enjoy it. All right. Thank you all for listening. Actually, before we go completely, um, is there a way for our listeners, if they're not already following the Caring Bridge, to get to it publicly? Is your Facebook? How, how can people reach you or find your story? I think the best way is just to go to caringbridge.org. Uh, and then if you search Amy and Brian Turner, and that's B-R-Y-O-N, uh, you'll find our story fairly simply. I think that's the easiest way to do it. Um, but it's caringbridge.org. And then you can kind of read along. We're, we're up to 59 journal entries so far. So uh, we've had a, a, a day or two where we did two, but um, those are the days since my diagnosis here. And again, sometimes they're brief when we're in a time of remission. Uh, and sometimes they're super deep. And uh, we usually try to include a couple of photos or a photo of kind of what's gone on with that day. And so uh, it's it, if you don't know anything about leukemia, want to learn a little bit, you will through our, our entries. But caringbridge.org and our entries titled Amy and Brian Turner. 
Awesome. And I'll try to stick a link to that in the show notes as well so that you can get to it on your phone. All right. Well, hey, Tess, thanks for having me. I, again, I appreciate the chance. I uh, am hoping and praying for Sam that his finals go well this week. And I look forward to hearing you guys back on together and catching up on the Bible study. And so uh, I love this podcast that you do. And uh, mom and I are very proud of the fact that you're producing this and putting it out there for folks. Thank you all so much for joining us this week on Front Porch Report. We are a passion project by a group of people who love Jesus and want to spread his word. Our hosts are Tass Turner and Samuel Hinckley. Our theme song is If by Beautiful Eulogy. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and share this episode with your friends so that we can continue to spread the word. If you'd like to get in touch, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, where we are at Front Report, or on TikTok, where we are at Front Porch Report. Catch you next week. Stay safe out there. Recording is started now. <laughs> you can mute yourself while I do my spiel if you want. Big part of this, um, you know, what do you call it? Pain management place that... We're paused, I guess.